Welcome to Talking in Stations podcast, recorded live on Imperium News Twitch. I am Matterall. It's winter in EVE Online, a time when war campaigns are usually in full swing. This year, the political map is quite stable as Circle of Two and Test Alliance have settled in to catch, impasse, and fate the ballistic regions. Those areas usually go together because catch is the pass that impasse and Fate the Ballist will use to get to high sec and to get supplies and stuff like that. So those two alliances both occupy that space and are friendly to each other. This after defeating the Russian Heavy Coalition from Stain region. Test is now building their home so that they can actually build the last piece of their armada, which is the super capital fleet, which requires the stability of sovereign space. Uh, and it looks like they got what they were looking for. We assume that they'll start to build the super capital fleet and uh, begin to compete with bigger, uh, not bigger alliances, but uh, the giant alliances of Goon Swarm or the Imperium or Pandemic Legion and uh, Northern Coalition, who have both massive subcapital presence and massive supercapital presence. So. Further away in Delve, the Imperium Coalition is building strong defensible positions in their territories they've occupied uh, since they were run out of the north, and uh, that allows them to uh, better resist another invasion, which didn't end well for them uh, last year, in last spring. The map itself is very stable at this time, and Losec uh, remains a place where people uh, die all the time crossing from high sec to low to uh, null sec null security space and the uh, the marauders of snuffbox uh, that's the area that they patrol and go into null sec as well uh, and they're in the black rise region to watch out for them they'll usually take down big game which would be like pandemic legion or northern coalition or uh, triumvirate whoever is in the area so today's show is going to be about fleet commanders we're going to talk about their trade, some of the things they think about, try to get in their head a little bit about all the different things they have to think about as they uh, take a fleet out, take responsibility for hundreds of people, and uh, essentially command, like uh, no other game really allows you to command hundreds of people. In fact, one of our FCs is actually uh, commanding uh, hundreds of people right now as he's on the show. So it's going to be interesting to distract him so that uh, his guys get killed. Why not? So let's welcome to the show. Um, start with from Test Alliance. We have Vili. Hello. Hi, Vili. Thanks for coming. Are you still in fleet? Uh, yeah, I'm still in fleet. Uh, Farmstings got control of the fleet while I'm doing this, so we're. Uh, I'm just kind of sitting on station watching everyone in Tosis. Well, <laughs> you know, he kind of does the day-to-day -day stuff or the minute-to-minute -minute stuff, I should say, probably. Yeah, minute-to-minute, -minute, right? Cool. Glad to have you here. Thanks for coming. Asher Elias is from Goonswarm. Hello, I'm also on Billy's fleet. <laughs> As a spy? <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't let me any other, any other way. <laughs> of course not. Uh, hey, if, if you want to entosis, we will gladly take spies. Who yeah, yeah. This is a big, as long as spies are doing things, I don't really mind them that much. <laughs> right, as long as they're productive. 
Uh, Asher is also um, a purveyor of the Asher Hour, which is a great podcast about fleet commanders, uh, much like this show is going to be, hopefully, because that's a great podcast. Um, and uh, finally, we have Hi Want to Destroyer. That's H Y Want to Destroyer. Uh, and Hi is from Snuffbox. How are hey. you doing, Hi? Good, thanks. You guys are in Black Rise, is that right? Yeah, Black Rise and Blasted is what we normally do stuff in. Oh, cool. Well, thank you, three guys. Uh, I, I picked you guys because uh, I wanted to find inventive theory crafting FCs that were uh, kind of at the top of their game. And uh, you guys were all recommended, of course. And uh, some of you are very well known to almost all you players. And um, uh, but uh, you guys were definitely the um, the people that were mentioned when I said uh, who are the who are the guys that are making things happen as far as theory crafting and uh, the stuff that we're going to talk about today. Okay, but before we get there, let's cover a few headlines. Uh, the Council of Stellar Management (CSM) uh, they have uh, just finished their conference or their uh, retreat or whatever it's called, summit they call it, in uh, Iceland with uh, CCP, the company that makes EVE Online. And they released uh, three or four videos just kind of wrapping up each day because there's three or four days. And uh, besides looking like ISIS videos with really wasted and hungover guys, uh, it was kind of informative. And they talked about some of the stuff that will probably be reaching us uh, this in the next few months before FanFest, some of the changes that are coming and stuff like that. So uh, that's interesting. Of course, there's always uh, This Week in EVE, which is put out by CCP. You can find it as you're logging into the game. And uh, that has uh, a great list put together by CCP on all the things that have been happening in EVE for the week, which is great. One of the things I found kind of interesting is that email is now part of the API, if I'm not mistaken. And so uh, we may see email on you know mobile devices so you can keep in touch with your guys when you're not playing the game, which you know might be interesting. Well. Um, that's the news for now. Uh, I really want to get to this topic because it's something I know less about than the political stuff or the bigger themes. Uh, and there's a lot of nuts and bolts in here. And my job for this show is going to be trying to make it relatable for people that don't understand all the terms uh, from these guys. But uh, these guys are really going to tell us uh, the majority of the information because uh, these guys are the guys in the middle of it doing it. So my first question, and I'll pose it to Asher is um and the rest of and the rest uh hi and billy can answer as well but what is the path to becoming a fleet commander i've asked this question a lot and i would say not universally but very often from the best fcs the path usually was i saw a hole and i filled it you know i saw a gap where there was you know no one was stepping up or for some reason there was a lack of a person who wanted to do it. And the all the good FCs that I know generally stepped up and said, hey, I can try this out. And then from there, they went on to, you know, you know, get better, find out they liked it. I don't know a lot of people, and I'm sure that this exists, but I don't know many people who were like, I'm going to be the best FC in EVE and then turn out to be anywhere decent. I haven't seen that really happen. So it, I think it's more serendipitous than it is... Um, you know, you, you sign up for the game and you decide you're going to be, you know, the next Mr. V or Shadu. So it's not a matter of ambition. I don't think so. At least in my personal opinion, I don't think so. I haven't really seen it happen that way yet. 
What about you, High? What do you think it is? That's pretty much how I became an FC, yeah. So it's more filling the gap. Um, obviously, there's no set way to become an FC and people go down different paths. But yeah, most of the good FCs are people that were filling the gaps and gradually got to where they are. So it's the guys that kind of feel a sense of duty that need to plug like some role uh, that stumble into being an FC that end up being effective FCs. Yeah, so they fill the gaps when there's no one else doing anything. They'll do it and you know step up. Vili? Hmm. I think that's accurate to a degree. A lot of what you have uh, is when people uh, take, when FCs lead, it's an incredibly strenuous process. It's constant bombardment of information, timers, things that need to be done, things that, you know, it's quite a, it's a heavy load. And what happens usually is, you know, you start asking people for help and the people that help you, the people that, you know, start doing signups for you, start scouting for you, start you know, taking over the little subsection here and there. Those That is usually the progress of progression in terms of the people that help are the people that you're talking to. And the people that you're talking to are the people that are learning and absorbing the most from the whoever the current FC is in many cases. And that is usually what, what I found to be the progressor of uh, a lot of FCs. If it's not just the standard, I want to FC, let me FC, they take a random fleets, they're either good or they're bad, which does happen a little bit, but definitely not all that much so then it is kind of an outgrowth of a, a kind of an apprentice system where you first start scouting for somebody uh and you start kind of being involved in the process the overall process and then the so it's not a giant step to i'm not doing anything to i'm fleet commanding it's uh i'll scout first i'll find uh, wormholes uh, i'll do reconnaissance let me like the sino and then eventually they start getting comfortable with the next step and eventually that leads to fleet commanding i guess Apprenticeship might not be the perfect word just because apprenticeship implies, you know, a master and apprentice when it's much mm -hmm. more likely to be, you know, a, a apprentice and like 15 other dudes that they're just helping. Like, you know, there, there is no masters in many cases, right? It's, right. you know, you're helping everyone, you know, you know, you have five mothers, you are helping them all kind of thing. <laughs> oh, that's good. Now, that's funny because I've heard, Vili, that you're a teaching FC, like after a fleet uh whether you win or lose you kind of take the time to say here's the lessons and uh here's what we did that sort of stuff is that true sometimes yeah um th there's definitely times where you know you lose and get crushed and you don't want to talk about it but uh it's it's better a lot of times to you know stop and say this is what we did wrong this is what we can do better next time and it is good for both you know the fcs and it's good for uh, the members to understand uh, what we did wrong so that we can improve it and do it better next time. Because a lot of times when an FC does something wrong and the fleet crashes and burns, uh, you know, it, it sucks, right? Everybody's lost their ships and nobody's particularly happy with the outcome. So by going over what you've done wrong, what you can improve, what you can change, you create a situation where at least, at least the membership understands that you've acknowledged that there was a mistake and that, you know, you're going to do your best to improve upon it and, and change and, do better because without that a lot of times all you have is wow that fc fucking sucks he doesn't know what the fuck he did wrong and you create that this is a pg show right or yeah, yeah that's right <laughs> family show we call it yeah, yeah. so you create a situation where um you know you're 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 inspiring your membership a little more with at least the understanding that that their their fcs have at least some idea you know where the errors were so you just to create and uh build on that confidence that they're giving you by joining your fleets one thing i always appreciated about laz's fleets when i was just a line member 
was that oftentimes he couldn't tell you, you know, why you're doing this or why this happened during the fleet. Cause you know, there's like, there's, you know, concerns. Um, but he would explain as much as he could after the fleet was over. He'd be like, all right guys, this is why we did, you know, this, and we had some intel that this might happen. So that's why we were waiting at this gate and all this stuff. And he would always give you a nice, a nice post op about what, what his thoughts were, what his plans were and why some stuff that might not have made sense, why they did it. And as a line member, I was always appreciative that he took the time to inform us. So I always, I always tried to, to I've tried to incorporate that into that? my fleets. Yeah, exactly. Good. Yeah, that's Lazarus Tellraven, uh, who's yep. actually active, if I'm not mistaken, right now. But he's a longtime uh, Goon Swarm uh, FC from AMOC. AMOC is interesting, by the way, because it's a corporation that. Um, are you an AMOC, by the way? That has a lot uh, of FCs. Uh, no, I'm in, I'm in Gunwafa proper, but yeah, that used to be like the joke was that Amok had almost all the Goon FCs. Uh, it still has quite a few, but uh, I, I kind of broke the streak. <laughs> uh, so one of the things that uh, I find, uh, and Vili touched on this, is the massive amount of information FC has to consider. So is there a way to build up uh, like uh, tactical awareness that you're aware of? Um. Uh, you're you're talking about two different things, I think. Really, mm. there's sort of a tactical and a strategic awareness, and and they're different. Um, when you're, you know, when you're on grid, um, having good vision of the grid is something that uh, that is really important. Um, grid Jintan is the battlefield. Wrote, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jintan wrote in a good article that uh, actually really. It was funny because like his article was basically almost like word for word something I'd said before, but I think he totally developed it independently. And it's like the spheres of influence. You have like you have like sort of imaginary spheres around enemy fleets that you stack up in your brain and kind of use these spheres to sort of have a good an idea of effectiveness of each fleet and, and how far it extends. And as the as the fights get bigger, you have to have, sort of be able to scale this. And that's a lot different than what you need to do when you're talking about reading Intel, reading scouting, um, and coming up with sort of a, an idea of what your enemy might do. That requires like more experience. They're both experience-based, but they're different kinds of experience. So um, some OCs are better at one than the other. And then a lot of, you know, a lot of organizations worth their salt will have, you know, guys who are up there in sort of command comms with you and they're reading that Intel as well. And they can kind of give you, you know, synthesize something for you. Like, oh, here's what I think they'll probably do. So that you can, especially when you're in the middle of a fight, you can focus on just what you need to do on, on grid. Oh, that's cool. Do you guys, uh, hi, do you have an opinion on that? Is there a way to build it? Or is it just something that comes with experience? Yeah, it's more experience, honestly. Just keep doing it. You'll eventually, it'll come to you. Yeah, kind of. Uh, Vili, you have anything on this? Just trying to give people a path to, like, uh, you know, what to look for. Are they, whether they realize it or not, are they becoming a fleet commander? Because we need more fleet commanders. Fleet commanders are the guys that take people out. And uh, that's what activity is all about. In what regard, sorry? Yeah, just uh, tactical awareness or situational awareness. Like, it seems like the, what you well, guys have you... in common are the ability to process a lot of information fast. 
most people have that, that ability, you know, you're dealing mm -hmm. with a very, a very capable group of individuals who play EVE Online for the most part. You're, it's very rare that individuals in EVE, EVE Online are not able to, you know, grasp at least to some degree what is going on around them. The problem becomes when they are attempting to uh, grasp situations where they don't understand all the variables. So, you know, if you're watching a fight, you know, as a line member just pressing F1 in a lot of cases, you're not looking for all that information. You're not taking all that information. But as an FC, you know, I, I don't have, in many cases, uh, the opportunity to even online my guns because I'm so busy, you know, managing the overview, understanding what's next primary, what's going to be at this range, what I need to watch for. Is there a, you know, boosher coming in from this angle? You know, there, there's just so many variables uh, that I'm watching for that uh, are not particularly how do I put this? There's so many variables that I'm watching for that the regular line member doesn't have to watch for. Mm -hmm. And um, when you put them in that position, many of them will excel and many of them will have trouble. And, and that's just part of uh, that's just part of life. But if you train them and if you give them the opportunity to learn that those situations, many of them will will excel far in above. It's it's just a situation. I would say much more where people, you know, when you don't have to take the, when you don't have to take the leap and the responsibility, many people will choose not to, because it is a significant amount of responsibility to be in charge of, you know, so many individuals or even a few individuals in many cases, just because you have, uh, even the game where, you know, your, your decisions have consequences, you know, in many cases, you know, uh, in super cap battles, capital battles, et cetera, you know, people are literally trusting you with tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of other people's money. So you have to, uh, there's an incredible burden you put on yourself by, by uh, accepting that responsibility. And, and many people are, are in this for as a game, for fun. And, you know, it, it becomes part of the fun to take on that responsibility for some fleet commanders. But for others, you know, this is about fun and relaxing rather than getting you know, stressed. Oh my God, my Alliance is moving and I need to ensure that we are successful. Otherwise we're going to die in curse kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. That's like, who would want that pressure? Uh, I can't imagine. Um, and it's one of the things and the reasons I didn't become a, a fleet commander because I was kind of a type of leader in other games, but here I, I realized I couldn't possibly, it came at the wrong time in my life, I think, to actually do what you guys do, because it takes a commitment to be there the whole time. I, I think you can hand it off to somebody else, but um, if, you know, just even in a small scale, if you're just roaming with three or four guys, if they're as experienced as you are, you can say, got to go see you guys later, somebody take this fleet. But m most of the time, um, they're maybe less experienced than you and you kind of stranding them if you abandon them out there. So it's, it takes kind of a commitment of time as well. But hey, man, um, I, don't, yeah. I don't want to make you self-conscious, but you've got very Trumpian hands. You're a, you're a gesticulator. <laughs> you, like to, you like to put the emphasis with your hands. If you talk, I'm noticing this. Yes. My master plans. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my fu manchu i just need to grow my nails out like 10 inches yeah. <laughs> uh okay so now we can get to a more informal part of it and that is like what do you guys like to fly talking about uh fleet wise yeah fleet. oh okay um i like mobile doctrines personally anything i just feel like that you can be a little have a little more uh skill 
you know, and, and a little more of your own skill can show off in a mobile doctrine than uh, a really brawly doctrine is going to go in and sort of get, you know, locked horns. And at that point, you're, you're, I mean, there's still skill involved, but it's there, it's more, uh, it's more math once, once, you know, both, both brawling fleets are right on top of each other. I feel like dancing. <laughs> yes. Dan- dancing, exactly. ra- dancing around the ring. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Hi? Well, my personal favorite doctrine that we have right now is Nightmares because they look cool as fuck and they're also super useful and they're super versatile for what they can do. Um, and yeah, they're good at the type of fights where you're fighting like NC and PL and you can't commit because, you know, you're just going to super bomb you, but you can get away with super, uh, super easy kills from their subs because you're like 100 off going 1k a second so they can't do anything with their big plays. What a world we live in where Nightmares are a real, a real doctrine these days. Well, they pack a wall up, right? Hi. Yeah, the alpha on them is not bad in the cycle time. It's pretty good. Yeah, so you're shooting fast, and your uh, the alpha is the uh, the first impact of damage is really high, so they can't repair a ship um, after it gets hit once because it gets destroyed. Uh, They're really the only only doctrine that can fit tech two tachyons as like a real as a real option and a serious option. Uh. Billy, right now, real quick, do you have a thing that you prefer, or do you just fly anything that's necessary? Uh, I, I generally prefer versatility in what I fly. Of the fleet doctrines we have, uh, I'm a big fan of hurricanes, just because they can kind of do everything. Uh, I'm, I'm very much a believer that uh, if you fly, whatever I fly, I want to ensure that I can actually uh, win the fight in the end through, you know, some form of tactics, strategy, whatever. Uh, I just don't like handicapping myself to the point where I can't win the fight because the fleet comp I've brought out is not effective enough to do that. So you guys do a lot of uh, reconnaissance and even uh, espionage to find out what's what's ahead of you, right? Like, what are you gonna what are you gonna face on the field? Yeah, most uh, most alliances are extremely reliant on uh, intelligence uh, to give them idea what they're gonna be going up against. This game is very much a rock paper scissors to some degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't have that intelligence, it is incredibly handicapping, especially when you know that your enemy will. Yes. So if they know what you're bringing and you don't know what they're bringing, you're pretty much going to lose because there are counters, right? Hard counters? No, there's hard counters to some things. Many mm. other doctrines do not have a hard counter. They have weak counters. They have soft counters. And some doctrines don't really have weak or hard counters aside from things like super capitals and capitals, in which case you just kind of semi-hard counter everything. but then kind of don't so hmm. you know when it comes subs to subs you're uh it, it's a kind of a different spot yeah sub capital fleets to sub capital fleets um the the what kind of considerations do you guys you know uh, use when you're trying to theory craft i mean you're looking at the mechanics of the game i take it and uh, you know the fittings and what ships can fit what modules and stuff like that is is that generally it, or are you? What kinds of things go into like this is the kind of stuff that we need to develop? You generally decide we want to do X, and to do X we need we're going to take this ship, and we say, how can we get the the most tank, the most damage, and the most cost utility? Is usually the three factors that kind of put together a fitting. So you say. Well, you know, obviously, you know, if I have all estimal mods or all meta 14 officer mods, you know, I have the best ship, but that's not cost effective, right? So then the question becomes, you know, do I throw 
Trusantia Energized Adaptive Nanos on it or just T2, you know, how disposable are the ships I'm using in many cases? And so, you know, you're, you're balancing fitting uh, with, you know, your damage and your tank and your speed and your lock range and many other factors. And then you're, you know, put, you know, uh, adding the factor of cost, uh, cost efficiency into that in many cases. Uh, alliances like Snuff, uh, in many cases, don't have the cost efficiency uh, revved up to the same level that alliances like Test or Goonswarm do, where we're, you know, producing and fitting ships on the scale of, you know, two to a thousand in many cases, you know, with Snuff, they can, you know, do things like slaves, and things like uh, Corpum uh, hardeners and those things on your standard doctrine ships. Whereas mm -hmm. with alliances uh, that are much more uh, larger armies, I guess you could say uh, that that's just not an option. Yeah. Like remember when Snuff was flying those legions that were like all X type fitted out the Lodgy legions that used to fly with their materials. We still uh, use them. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. I remember that, that was so frustrating to fly against because, you know, we were flying Oneros with our fleet, which had, you know, 60k EHB, and your Lodgy Legions had, with slaves, like 400k. And that was your weakest ship. It was, it was always like, oh, come on, really? Yeah, those are good days, in the massive mag fights. Yeah. Now, that's kind of, why is that? The, the smaller entities... Uh, I, I think Billy touched on it. Don't have to worry about the cost so much because they dress themselves up in the. Is it because um, is there a low sec high uh, null sec difference, or is it just sheer numbers? They don't have to worry about re, re the numbers. Just so the numbers. If member counts more than in a massive goon fight, and also you're going to lose less money in the fights because our fights tend to be smaller scale, so we can afford to pimp our ships, and we kind of need to to make sure we get the most out of them. It's low sec too. I mean, they you can disengage a lot easier in low sec than you can in in null, and you get to run implants with a lot less risk. Yeah, exactly. I wonder how if people are attracted to a group like Snuff or Dead Terrorists or Shadow Cartel. These are low sec. Um, you know, I call them marauders because you guys aren't pirates. You guys, you guys go around looking for big things to take down. If they're attracted to that gameplay, those guys are already established with a ton of money. Like you don't get do you get do you have new people? Do you have any alphas in snuff? No, no, no. We have like quite high requirements. So yeah, it is people who are looking for like the high end content at the end of the day. Almost like the tournament play, right? Because they're looking for smaller fights. Yeah, kind of. But our fights like because of the game now, our fights aren't as small as they used to be. They tend to be like 100 versus 100 or 200 versus 300. And us just fighting the bigger Norsec entities outnumbered. Yeah, usually you're outnumbered. But you have some allies, so that kind of helps, right? Yeah, everyone has allies these days. For example, right. our allies are Project Mayhem and Rapid Withdrawal and Warforce. And then Shadow Cartel has Escalating Entropy and other entities like that. Everyone's in a little coalition in Norsec right now. Yeah, even like a, less than, a, or maybe just a year ago, a pretty big snuff fleet would be like 50, 60 guys. And you guys are, are, are much bigger now. Are that, is that, um, there was a war between low sec powers for a while. Is that still going on a low grade or is that kind of dissipated? Well, not really right now because Shadow Cartel has gone and off to do their own thing in Genesis and grind towers. And we're just kind of taking all our stuff back in Rackbass. We were out messing around with XX Death for a bit. So yeah. We kind of paused that. Um, it kind of stopped during World War B because we all kind of got together and helped each other there. And then it started again a little bit with us versus escalating entropy. And then it kind of fizzled out again because 
there's a time zone barrier between us and them because they're US time zone and we're EU, so we can't really fight that much. Yeah. So, um, so coming up to today and some of the strategies you use today, what's the current meta? Because it seems like it's carriers. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, that's an idea meta more than an actually proven meta. Yeah, the 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 real meta right now depends on the location and the the enemy you're fighting very much. So, uh, Macarials would probably be the most uh, identifiable component of the meta at the moment. Yeah, mm -hmm. the Those are battleships. Yeah, the the, the the overall meta is very battleship heavy at the moment, which is uh, a pleasant change. Uh, which oh, that's interesting. Kind of happy with. Yeah, I thought I, carriers were kind of squashing out the battleship uh, today. Uh, but uh, you're saying the terrain is actually what's important, and that's what's driving. No, what I'm saying is that like carriers will be the meta to a degree at some point soon, quite possibly. But when it what it comes down to is that the alliances that can you know field the quote unquote carrier meta. Don't really have an enemy to field them against in, in all regards. You know, we're talking NCPL and we're talking Unitswarm are the only ones that have significant enough carrier uh, forces that you would call it a quote unquote carrier meta. Uh, many alliances have, you know, carrier backed uh, battleship fleets or Fortisar defenses in, the, in those regards. Mm -hmm. uh, even like Snuff, I'm sure you, you see Archons and Thanatoses, et cetera, uh, backing up their uh, Macario fleets. But when it comes down to is that there, there's just not enough. Uh, it, it, it's not what I would call a, a carrier meta at this point, anyways. Carriers okay. are very strong. They're just not uh, the defining feature of the meta. Yeah, you can only really use them when you're the top dog in the area, so you can escalate everyone. They're not really you know, that good as a solo comp. No, I think I've been coddled too long in NC dot to, to not know that. Um, what, so what do you guys what do you guys think the meta is right now? Is, you're saying it's a fast battleship meta, which is pretty good. Sorry, a battleship meta, which is pretty good because battleships are fun. People like battleships. Yeah. They, they just uh, when uh, it's just hard to say. Like when you call for a battleship fleet over almost any other type of fleet, you just get a bump because people just battleship isn't like a evocative word, and and it just feels good to be in them, even if like like so people just identify with that kind of fleet. They want to go on battleship fleets. Uh, sometimes to the detriment of other fleets. Yeah, battleship fleets are much more like you're standing in the boxing ring and you're slugging it with another guy kind of yeah. experience versus like, you know, you're chasing around fucking claw fleets or you know, you know, you've got two, you know, you know, you've got two cruiser fleets skirmishing with each other at like various ranges trying to kill each other's tackle. Like where it's like you know you've got two guys that are just like fucking firing arrows at each other from 300 you know feet away or something like. There's a certain kind of like line member who just wants. To just get on grid and just press F1 and slug it out until there's not any F1 pressers left on your side or their side, and that they are highly drawn to a battleship fleet. Yeah. Also, you maybe it, you last longer on the field, so you get a few more chances to shoot things and get you know more kills and stuff. I would imagine that might be a perception, but I don't think that's actually true. Oh, interesting. Uh, I would just say it's a much more calm experience. There's less movement involved. It's much more just right. I shoot guns, you shoot guns me, you know, you die or I die kind of thing. <laughs> you shoot guns me. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's true. If I'm doing like a service fleet, it's much more frenetic. You know, I'm yelling at people to get on anchor, you know, and, and do all this stuff. And it requires a lot more, people paying a lot more attention than it, than it does for like a battleship fleet. So that is true. 
Oh, cool. So it's not, uh, hopefully it's not carriers all the time. There's some concern about that, um, you know, in the future, but uh, doesn't lo it looks like it's safe, at least for now. Actually, one thing I wanted to ask Vili, uh, Asher, uh, and how you can jump in if you want to, is what... Um, I want to see what he does. Catch? What's that? I think I was being dumb. <laughs> uh, what did what did you guys learn from the the clash in the catch region between you, you guys' alliances? Was there any lessons drawn there? Or is... Not really. It was no, another day at the office. Exactly how how we uh, how I expected it to go, or how I planned it to kind of go. You know, we knew what they could bring, and they knew they originally thought knew what they thought we could bring, and you know, we'd kind of stacked the deck and ensured we had enough allies that you know. We could, you know, at least take the fights, and it, it went rot. Like I knew Stainwagon was really rotten. Like there, there just weren't, uh, there, there wasn't a foundational strength of the alliance there, and I knew they would crumble pretty hard. I didn't expect they would crumble quite the way they did, but for the most part, it was about what we expected in terms of, you know, how it would go. Um, we were prepared for a longer grind, but you know, it, it is roughly within the paradigm of what was predicted. Hmm. The wagon is totally broken at this point. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd say totally broken, but like Coven Alliance is act like because we're in Esoteria right now, grinding through uh, Esoteria, and uh, Coven Alliance is pretty solid, and Soviet Union is kind of okay, but like Afterlife is gonna probably fail skate in the next month. Um, I, I uh, Afterlife is kind of dead though for a while. Because yeah, a lot of them well, merged into PM. There's a difference between being actually dead and being like dead, dead, right? Because Afterlife had their FCs and they had, you know, 20 or 30 active members that would show up. And, you know, once you apply pressure, like without pressure, alliances won't crack. Like they'll just sit there and they'll firm their moons and rat their space and do whatever, right? They, there needs to be outside pressure so that the internal pressure can boil up and break them. And so if you don't have that outside pressure, nobody breaks, you know, so you have alliances like, you know, Afterlife or uh, I, I don't want to predict, say Volt, but, uh, you know, some of these other Stainwagon alliances where there was a lot of internal pressure because they've had no real conflict or issues or anything. And so once we apply the external pressure, we can just break them and then we can take whatever we want. You saw during the Casino War how a lot of the goon uh, allies just fell apart because they were effectively there. They're either there just as sort of almost pseudo renters or they recruited far too broadly and didn't have any kind of base of competence. And yeah, well, the reason we, uh, the reason we kind of shift, like we shifted that front to the East, which was Vale, which was Lawn and what Bastion. Yeah. It was because, you know, it, it was a weakness there, right? That, you know, you had two alliances who were very large in numbers, uh, which is not always a good thing is one of those weird things to say, but, uh, but they had no real strong command structure. So anything they tried to do independently, they generally failed really fucking hard at doing, which meant that, you know, as soon as we applied pressure in Vale, what we're going to be able to do is we're going to be able to take most of Vale. And while we were doing it, we were going to be able to get good fights and, you know, victories and slaughters, et cetera, which keeps your members energized as you take the space. And so that's so, tricky to find at times. And that was part of the original plan because we knew that, you know, Bastion and Lawn likely would not hold up well under pressure. Somewhat perversely, Space Monkeys was a much stronger alliance at 2,000 members than they were at 5,000. Yeah, so, that's very much the reality. 
you know, a lot of times what you'll see actually, and even in tests, we have this to degree to some this issue to some degree, uh, is you've got member corps who just have are just sometimes fucking worthless. Like they literally cause more <laughs> harm than good because you know they start internal drama and they try to uh, stir the pot and you know why are we not doing this or why are we not getting this or why did we not win this fight and it's like because that's how shit goes boys you know you can't you know so the, so it, those corpse in a lot of cases and, and you know numbers in general sometimes are not necessarily the end all be all you, you need you know um, controlled membership i guess you could say that's funny so it sh sheds some light on who's considered valuable in an alliance or coalition uh it's not always what you think it is. Like the people who talk the most aren't necessarily the most valuable. Most valuable guys are the guys that show up in fleet and the guys that, you know, make shit happen. That's number one and number two every time. Yeah, isn't it funny that like in, a, in an alliance, you have corporations that have like fleet commanders, they instantly are a more prominent corporation because they can contribute that fleet commander. And or one that has a bunch of super capitals, you know, they have more prominence, uh, you know, more. I wouldn't call it say so, but they just. Um... There are certainly lots of corps that have been in uh, various alliances, and this has been all over the game, where having like basically having one FC in that corp covered all its sins, you know, where any other yeah. corp in that situation would have been kicked, but because they have this one guy. We will. We just don't touch them, and and that's happened many times uh, over over the the uh, eve. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of funny you would say that because I I distinctly remember back when I was in Mosley Harmless seven years ago, um, we were having a conflict with Alliance Leadership Council, and uh, you know we're like, well, we're gonna do this, and they're like, no, you cannot do this, and I'm like, we're gonna do this, and they're like, you cannot do this, and then they just kicked us, and we we were like, okay. And that that was a Eternity Inc., the corp that's now within Goonswarm, because we had uh, we we were choosing to utilize some space we had in Tinal at the time, and they were like, no, everybody has to be down south and you know defending the homeland kind of thing, despite the fact we were already like doing far and above like what any other corp in the alliance was. So that snapped the EC dash jump bridge and led to Eternity joining Goonswarm. Uh, but because I was just like, oh, no, there was no way gonna, they were going to kick us because we're like one of the most important corps in the alliance. But sure enough, they did, and you know. <laughs> Well, they called your bluff. Oh, they, they <laughs> called my bluff. Yeah, and uh, it worked out real well for them. Yeah, I guess maybe they should have rethought that. Well, you know, pride. What's what's it like in uh, Snuffbox? Hi. Are you hi? Are you still there? All right. Yeah. So corp wise, um, I don't think there's really any corp that doesn't pull their weight. Like we're kind of smaller, so every corp kind of matters. So. Yeah, every corp has, you know, uh, a lot of useful people, a lot of supers and stuff. It's kind of different all, than all psych alliances. Are all the FCs in, in one corp or are they spread out? They're kind of spread out, but for example, um, so Donnie is like the big main snuff FC. He's in Snuffbox. I'm in Elmore. And then there's a couple other FCs, but we're kind of the two main FCs since we're kind of a small alliance. When did you join uh, League of Non-Aligned Worlds or... I joined like a couple of years ago from Collapsed Out when Collapsed Out went PL. I didn't really want to go PL. So oh, one, of, one of the options. Wow. Missed a chance to join the top alliance in EVE. What a disappointment. Yeah. Leader stops his recruiting. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
There's a couple of uh, topics I wanted to hit on um, what's going on and maybe changes that are coming. Uh, One of them was pretty pretty obvious that uh, because CCP Fozzy came out and said, what do you guys think of uh, interdictive bubbles or um, yeah, bubbles? Should they last all day or should they last, uh, you know, because right now they last a long time. Should they last less time? Uh, Do you guys have any overall the interdiction in NullSec? What do you guys think of it? I I think it's sort of silly. I, I think interceptors. I think if your interdiction nullified, you probably should not be insta warp. Uh, everyone wants to travel in instant, you know, in basically total safety, but they also want to be able to catch people in space, and those two are mutually exclusive. So I think people uh, make choices or, or or say things that are in their overall non self interest because. The amount of times that you are moving is a lot lower than the amount of times you can catch someone else moving. I think the game would be better if you could interdict trade routes and and, and movement, but you can't essentially. Um, if someone if someone's just not a total idiot, they can fit up an interceptor that's relatively that's basically uncatchable. Um, but if you ask players, what do you think about that interceptors and nullifications? They'll be like, oh yeah, I'm definitely all for it because they moved once in an interceptor this month, but they don't think about the times they could have caught. 30 other people moving you know so um i i don't i don't think it'll change interceptors have definitely destroyed a certain component of gate camping and uh and of just general traffic interdiction and i'm not even going to get into the cancer that is you know uh, anti-entosis clause and all the rest of this shit but Mm. um like it, it you just you just lose so many opportunities to have meaningful conflict right you know you know, if the, if those interceptors can't run that gate camp, then those guys have to go through the gate camp. So the first guy goes in and he dies, and then the second guy goes in and either got it into the information in Intel or he dies, and then you know you have to form a gang to clear them off, and then you know the gang is either good enough or it's not, and you know this is better, versus just like yes, just like ten guys go through the camp and interceptors nobody dies. Like yeah, the intelligence meta, which is awful, is made is made so mostly by interceptor. Well, there's a lot of problems with it, but interceptors are one of the big problems. Um, even though they're not the ones doing the tintosising, the fact that you can't set up and hold the central location um, is a big is a big part of the problem, uh, and that's what uh, Billy's talking about. I think is that you know, um, so you have to make your your intosis like guys, you know, uh, proof against fifty claws, which is tough. Like it's pretty it's pretty hard to do that. So yeah. it, it makes it it makes a it makes these fights take a lot longer than they should. Mm-hmm. And that's again not going into the strategic use of the uh, the interceptor, which is nullified, means it can't be stopped by these bubbles. Um, just the gameplay itself of sitting around what I call like a fishing hole with three or four of your courtmates waiting to catch things as they go by. Uh, that's kind of uh, less than it used to be because it's a good time to bond right you're sitting there talking and uh, you know something comes up and you catch something um on the other side of it i remember getting saying okay i'll scout you in and uh, leading a fleet and i would jump through and get killed and say don't go this way uh, turn around there's a big there's a big gate camp here um so that has kind of changed the uh, the feeling the vibe like it used to be nullsec was a place you just didn't go because eventually you'd get caught and killed if you were a pedestrian. But on the other hand, I'm almost certain because like they asked about this on Reddit and um, the overwhelming majority of people on the Reddit post said like, I'm not interested. 
And it was interesting because I was talking about it, you know, within uh, in the Imperium and it, it, it like a lot more people there uh, like don't want an interception or sorry, interdiction, nullified interceptors and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were kind of afraid to speak up because they didn't want to just get shouted down. Um, so I don't think that was really representative of the overall opinion on it. But I think that because of what what was viewed as sort of the, uh, you know, outcry or the major uh, opposition to it, that I don't think anything will change. Yeah, well, we'll see. There's a they're, they're at least asking the question. We'll see how that goes. I think bubbles. There's a lot more chance bubbles change than interdiction nullification change. Yeah, like um, at the moment, right now, I'm literally watching my fleet, you know, chase around, you know, claws with X-wings. Where or X-wings are, are anti-claw interceptor doctrine. Like it's, it's pretty. How do I put this? I don't want to say boring, but conflict because I guess it is conflict at least. But it's, it force it gives your enemy an option to just be, you know, it doesn't force them to work to defend their space. You know, you just dig around and slow your enemy down. But you can't win with claws is the thing you know you can only win by slowing your enemy down which is not an effective process in winning which has always been kind of the 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 how do i put this the, the fact you can't win when you use claws creates a situation where even though you make it annoying you ensure mm-hmm. your own defeat because many times when we were in catch we would see oh the enemy's got 150 claws well that means we're going to win the timer it's just going to really suck doing it which is not the way perhaps you should you know aim to have these fights happen You're right it's probably not uh it's not the most exciting thing uh let's move on to shield supers uh do you guys think they're you know going to get a fixed or balanced apparently there's a the idea that they're not really that useful because they get neutered out pretty quick there should and there's will once again should they get balanced and improved? Yes. Will they get improved? I highly doubt it. Um, Why uh, do you ar- doubt it? Armor supers are in such a better place than shield supers. It's not even close um, for a number of reasons. Right now, the newt stack doesn't work effectively uh, for shield super. So like, say, this is a little technical, but I think I can explain it pretty well. So th- say that you, uh, you're, you have 1,000 gigajoules and newts on you, right? And then um, you have 500 gigajoules of, of uh, cap transfer coming in. Um, and then you have a local, a local rep, or sorry, a local uh, cap booster that's giving you 100. Or what, what happens right now is they just add that up. So they ha- you have 600 and then they minus 1,000 and you get zero. Um, and since newts are more powerful than a cap transfer, the only way to out transfer uh, a newting gang is to have double the numbers. That's roughly what you need. A newt, a newt is about twice as strong as a cap transfer. So the only people who could run shield supers are those who have two times as many capitals and supers as an armor fleet. Um, a really easy fix would be to make uh, local cap boosters work after the stack, so that uh, if you get if you're nuded in cap and cap transfer, you add those up. If they're zero. And then you apply the local booster so that you always have at least one tick where your your local boost is going um, that it would be useful. But it's that would be a sort of a Band-Aid. The problem is that shield passive tanks just suck uh, compared to armor passive tanks. In a huge tie-dye fight, even if you mm-hmm. fixed that or cha- did that change, I suggested relying on like you know your local booster hitting and getting your hardeners back on, especially with the timing. 
uh, since cap boosters are 11 seconds and adaptive involves are 10 second cycles, you're going to get times where you just get chunked for too much. Um, so yeah, uh, armor's armor is in a position where it's incredibly better than shield right now. Now, all that said, do I expect a fix? No, I don't think they'll fix it. Why not? You think it's too complicated, a, a balance? I don't think it's complicated. No, this is my conspiracy theory. It's because of the, uh, if you look at the, uh, uh history of all the devs in eve online right now and who owns the uh who owns armor supers and where they came from so it's 100 percent conspiracy theory i, I realize <laughs> yeah it's pretty well because uh, uh, from from uh pl right the the devs are essentially old pl players and what what kind of what kind of super fleet does pl run yeah um all right well that's you know true or not true it's a, a theory <laughs> What do you guys, uh, you guys have any thoughts on that? Uh, Hi, you must run uh, super capitals, right? Because you guys need them to take down other super capitals. Yeah, we lose a lot of super capitals. Do you have a preference? Well, yeah, we only use armor supers. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Because there's kind of some cachet, at least in NC dot, where they're like, oh, no, you got to fly a Levi or a Wyvern or or you're nothing. You know, (laughs) I think they're just trolling or something but if you uh, look at it on paper they look great they look fantastic on paper yeah the titan bonuses from a leviathan are actually kind of good for fucking over an armor fleet the new link modules that's what yeah. i would do, use a leviathan for and that's it mm. yeah the spatial distortionaries are pretty powerful uh, there's no doubt about that one uh, all right, we're coming into the end of the show here. One more question. It's not necessarily combat, or is it? But uh, what about the Roracle? What's going on with that? Oh, God, please. <laughs> it's, it should be a pretty easy fix, and I think they'll get around to it eventually, where the panic module just turns off all your Eivor. Well, let's set up the problem. What's the problem with it now? It has a module that gives it seven minutes of invulnerability. Uh, and yeah, but the... it doesn't stop it from doing things. Right. Know? So if you gets... went into a turtle shell, it'd be a lot different than right now. You get the turtle shell, but you can still grab people. And that's just not compatible, right? Because you can grab a, a super capital ship turtle shell for seven minutes. That's plenty of time for your guys if they're ready to jump in and help you. Honestly, I'm of the opinion that if you activate the panic mod, all your modules should go offline. Like, not just like turned off, but like... Like, you're not coming back from that. Like, you, that's your last ditch button. Yeah, well... The whole idea behind the panic module was they wanted you to have the ability to get out, get out in space and give people t- time to form to come save you. Like the the problem is, is that you know if a Oracle's out without the panic module, then the alliance has to be standing by at all times to come save it, uh, and it's not a sustainable a play style to say you need to be ready at all times, but the enemy only needs to be ready at their time. Um, you will burn out your people and there you will eventually lose that. So that was the idea behind it was to give people time to form up. So if, if you burn out all your modules, then you would, that would be kind of counterintuitive to that. Um, but the invulnerable jump picture so. is sort of silly. I, like I, I, what I'm saying is that like, if you, you know, you activate panic module in, in theory, you're a situation where somebody should have come to in se- within seven minutes to come save you. And if not, you die. You, you probably still die if your mods aren't turned offline, but it basically, it, it acts, 
it has a heavier price for using that pan panic module. It means that you now have to go to a station, you have to dock up and turn your modules back online or have the carrier come next to you or whatever. Right, but you couldn't um, get wrapped. I mean, uh, you know, your hardeners would be off, so. I, I kind of yeah, like that idea of you, you, you have to get towed into the shipyard to get, you know, put back together because, <laughs> you know, you still have the hull, you still have the fittings, but uh, you're useless after that. You got to go fix yourself up. That's kind of appealing. And you guys, um, in Snuff, you guys are notorious for using Rorkles. <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. I'm just yeah. kidding. Uh, you guys, um, do you guys even have them? Nah, Rorkles are kind of skill intensive and they're not really... Oh, that's right. Yeah. Like, I guess we would use them as Hictus, but that's about it. We can't really mine and make Dankisk like goons and uh, PLs. So. <laughs> yeah, goons are mining with them. PLs using them in combat. That's the, those are the two people who are really using them that, I, that I've seen. Uh, and then you yeah. see that that group inner hell just killing like multiple of them daily, just slaughtering them. Just just roaming around finding them and killing them. I think they just sit sit in their hole and rage roll, and then yeah. just hope to find a, a super or a rourke will pop out, kill it, rage roll some more. They have a standing fleet up all day, pretty much, and that's all they do. They rage roll from their hole. Yeah, uh -huh. they got yep. they got a couple of our guys who weren't on comms and and didn't get on comms. It's always like. At least with us, we'll, we'll generally we'll, we will try and save our guys, but it's always it seems like uh, half the time they just find some idiot who who doesn't understand yeah. how to ask for help. But you're always going to have only that. so much like, you can do for some people. Yeah, yeah, you, you can lead a horse to water, can't make a drink, and and if you're going to be doing you know any kind of PVE where they use carriers, supers, or, or works, you just have to get used to the fact that some people are going to lose them, and that's all there is to it. So rage rolling is uh, so there's a group that is basically sitting in wormhole space, going through wormhole after wormhole after wormhole in search of rorkles to hunt, uh, and that's what rage rolling is. You're you're basically rolling holes one after another after another. If you don't see anything in there, you close it. You go to the next, which is kind of funny. I really like that idea. So they're they're these guys that are harpooning these giant whale of ships, uh, and they're <laughs> they're constantly looking for them. Uh, it's good to know they're getting killed because I. I manufacture them, so kill them, please. Um, actually, I was thinking of giving away Rorkel blueprints on the show or something like that. I should probably do it, but it's, it's almost too much trouble to transfer it before they get nerfed. Do you guys think they'll get nerfed? Do you think Rorkels will get nerfed? Yeah. I think there will be some nerfed. some changes to that, that something has to module. Happen. I think that'll yes, I think that'll that will happen for sure. Um I mean PL's Kill's running around with 15 of them right now. Like, you know, oh my you know, gosh. We're last night, right? Like, you know, it, it's only going to get worse the longer you let this go. I think and, that's, a, I think it's a tactical decision too. I think PL would like them to be nerfed personally. Um, oh, yeah. It, and, invulnerable jump pictures. I can't see why those might be an issue for PL. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that uh, it's kind of like, and I know you know this from your time in Goons, it was sort of always the thing like, let's use this because if Goons use it, it will be, it will be nerfed. You know what I mean? And so I think it's sort of the similar. Oh, yeah. If something's, similar if something's, yeah, if something's broken, we need to break it so that it's obvious it's broken. Like, yeah. And and if and I understand that PL may indeed that may indeed be their strategy, but that doesn't take away the fact that it's fucking disturbingly broken right now. Yeah. Uh, that's funny because that's what the strategy that Imperium says they used when they were trying to create a, a casino. They wanted to kind of show that they could, it could be abused and broken, uh, but that never happened. And then we know how history rolled out after that. Um, yeah, it's one of those interesting, you know, what ifs. Uh, if you go back and and actually roll that thing out, 
uh, in the way that what was intended originally. Um, the Goon Swarm Casino. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, th- you could have you could have seen a lot of different things because uh, I think we were prepared to run that casino at a loss to just to build up market share and kill other casinos, and we never actually really got around to it uh, when we should have. Um, you know, it, it's always hindsight twenty twenty. It's one of those things where you say back, "Wow, there was this big existential threat to us that we could have." uh you know spent more time and effort but you didn't know that at the time yeah you didn't know because it wasn't politicized money necessarily uh that happened after where the money was used to actually conscript um, mercenaries and create this big movement uh but at the time it was just people just making money it wasn't it wasn't political money um uh, and that's interesting because I, I think you said something that's kind of interesting the just to take up market share. In other words, just to take customers away from, say, uh, I want ISK, because at the time that I want ISK was pounding uh, SMA, basically through mercenaries, SMA was still gambling on SMA on I want ISK's site, which I thought was kind of funny. They were like financing their own doom and destruction. Yeah, well, they were very, very tightly entwined with, with I want ISK um, until, until they broke up. So that was very much, you know, uh, one of the lesser told stories about the casino war was how much it was like, uh, you know, uh, jilted ex-lovers fighting each other. Uh, that was a huge part of the the undercurrent. Um, and it became something bigger. It became something, you know, sort of uh, comeuppance or schadenfrada and seeing this group, uh, you know, us goons get what you know, a lot of people said, you know, they deserved or what had been coming to them for a long time. So it spiraled into that. But it definitely started more as a lover's tiff than as anything else. Well, yeah, I mean, it gets into personal stuff, so you couldn't talk about that part of the story. But it was, it did start at a very small nucleus and start to grow, and it layered out into a, a very, very, very big, or the biggest one we've seen. And uh, and you guys were on opposite sides of that, right? Vili, who was Goon Swarm, was actually Test at that point, and uh, High uh, was in Buff. Uh, sorry, uh, snuff. snuff. I always call yeah. you buff. I don't know why. Uh, maybe snuff I... is buff. It's buff those nightmares. Must be those nightmares. Stuff is jacked. <laughs> yeah, they're you guys were on the other side of it. So how do you guys feel looking back on it now? Uh, a little bit uh, in our last minutes, a little bit of looking back on the casino war, World War B, whatever you decide to call it. Uh, you guys, what do you think of all that? Well, I find it more interesting how it's kind of turned out, like how... You know, you had CO2 and Test who helped PL and NC and everything uh, take up the North and stuff. And now PL and NC are just kicking everyone out and taking it for themselves and renting it. I find that most funny of all, kind of. They're kind of the new goons, just living as kings of the North. It wasn't particularly surprising to me, like, you know, um, that that happened. It was very obvious who was getting played and who wasn't. Uh, as far as the actual war part, it was a lot of fun. Like, I enjoyed it. I I kind of missed the point where I could just undock in Saranen and literally have a fight come to me within five minutes. I mean, you don't get that, uh, you know, every day. Uh, it kind of reminded me almost of like the old Brave station where there would always be someone for them to fight. Um, and so even, you know, um, we had we had opportunities. We would just undock full hurricane fleets, slug it out, you know. Um, you would just watch every other alliance paying goods and docking, and they'd form, rage form, rage form, rage form. Uh, so you got to fight all the time. Um, so it was a fun time. I, I wouldn't want to 
I wouldn't want it to have lived like that forever because, like, I mean, I could just join a low sec alliance, I guess, if I wanted to do that. But um, it was definitely something I'm glad that uh, I got to experience. Uh, so overall, it was a positive experience, I'd say, for me. Billy, you were a big proponent early on, right? This It, it seemed like you were at the forefront of this wave that was coming at Imperium. Uh, I guess so. Um, you know, I had issues with certain members of um, CFC or now Imperium leadership at the time. It's, it's, and it's me. It really hates me. <laughs> actually, I've always had a really good relationship with Asher and even Boat. And, you know, I said my goodbyes with not tears, but, you know, friendly cajoles. But, yeah, you know, certainly members. Billy, uh, sorry, just really quick. Billy, when Billy left, it was very, very classy, very, you know, very, very respectful. There wasn't any, you know, you know, fuck you, I quit. You know, it was just nice working with you guys and, you know, see you later. And I always appreciated yeah. that. Well, like, you don't need to do an AMA necessarily to describe everything that's gone wrong with uh, exactly your, your relationships. But uh, what it comes down to at times, it, like, as I said, I had, you know, issues with certain decisions and certain people. And, you know, so I said, you know, I can't do this. And I left. Um, as far as, like, a proponent of the war, I, I knew that, if the war against the Imperium at the time was taken, it could be won. Um, I, I, you know, there there wasn't enough strength from Goon Swarm to defend six, seven, eight regions of space that they were kind of holding at the time. You know, Fcon and Branch. I can't remember who was in Tino. Was it Razor? Where's Razor? I can't. Yeah, remember. Razor was um, Tino. Yeah. <laughs> Bastion and Lawn and Vale. Uh, CO2 and Tribute was like the, the core strength of the the entire East. You had SMA in the West. Who I can't remember who the fuck was in Cloud Ring. You had low sec holdings, like you know, th there was just so much being held by such a small core of people in, you know, goons were providing the only real strength, right? So you had, you know, as we kind of discussed earlier at the start of this uh, podcast, um, you know, five thousand dudes versus two thousand dudes uh, is not necessarily better that you know five thousand dudes are better than two thousand dudes. You know, it it's about how you can utilize those people and if those people have the will to succeed and the ability to make the right calls at the right times and win fights and all the rest. And, and it was very obvious to myself and many other members that, you know, you know, Vale, Tribute, Branch, Tinal, Venal, uh, <laughs> Pure Blind, uh, Fade, Cloud Ring, uh, Black Rise, all those regions were extremely vulnerable to, uh, to damage. And, you know, CO2 put some pretty heavy blood in the water with uh, that triple Titan loss to, I can't remember who it was, PL Snuff. The snuff, OB, snuff was there, yeah. Yeah, it was so, us. Uh, it's good. It was four you know, times, I think. Yeah, it was that, four. that always gets people, that always gets people interested too. And then you had Lenny coming around. It's like, yeah, if I give you guys 200 bill a week, you know, you guys want to come? And it's like, yeah, we'll come. I'm not to say that was what he actually offered, but like, you know, it's like a lot of money for an alliance with, you know, significant funding issues. All of a sudden it's like, yeah, we'll do that. Sounds good. You know, like it, uh, you know, the, the, even the war that Test is on right now is still in part funded, I guess you could say by uh, Lenny, because that uh, money that we got, it, it was our war chest for the most part for this war. Mm, so you're still living on it. I wouldn't say living on it. Uh, it was kind of our backup funds or i don't know how to put it properly you've talked about the uh the actual um reasons behind the war why it came about but did you enjoy it you haven't decided if you have or not 
Uh, I enjoyed like the first 30 days. I, I don't remember. I don't know if you remember, but I actually did like a war diary or whatever of like everything I was doing for like the first 30 days. And then oh, it just yeah. turned into like a. I read some of those. Yeah. It, yeah. Like, and then it just turned into like, okay, we're grinding Declan now. They're in Saranen. Nothing's happening. Grinding Declan. Grinding yeah. Pure Blind. We've taken all their space. Let's just start setting up in Vale. Oh, they're still in Saranen. Okay. Right. They moved away. Wars parts, that, like, it, parts that were most fun for you were the least fun for me. And once we were basically, we had given up on everything, we were in Saranen, that's when I started having a lot more fun. Once I was sort of literally freed of the shackles of Sov, like that's when I was like, oh yeah, this is, we can do a lot of fun, fun stuff I was describing earlier. Well, yeah, well, I, I'm still of the opinion that you guys could have made a, a much better showing in terms of the defense of certain areas. Um, it just it, some of the tactical movement decisions you guys made were really odd to me in the way you made them. Like when you guys moved from Declan straight to Saranen rather than through X7 and cut off that as kind of a like like you're put some of your jump range positional calls were a little off to me and you know your choice to not fight in certain areas versus others was remember we never moved from Declan we were already out of Declan we were in D2 hose when the war started yeah um, but like still like obviously you can't go into another solve conquerable station but like X7 was kind of like the default kind of close by um it was definitely considered. I, and it's a, it has, I'd have to go back, but I don't remember. There was reasons why we chose that not to do that. Um, I think. Yeah. I, I think. Well, you know, like, you know what? If, you... I, if I, to, to be honest, I think the reason we chose Saranen was because we thought because Saranen was much closer for CO two to come, and we thought we could get CO two to come join us. Um, that was like I that was one of the assets lessons. there. Uh, we had some in Saranen, but it wasn't like uh, you know a huge stockpile or anything. But it was it was more we were trying to choose something that was essentially located for everyone to because we tried we tried our best to get all our allies to come and and you know get into one place which was clearly the only way we had any shot of doing it because like Billy said they're just picking us apart from from all angles um, so but it ended up not being you know the case that that happened and you know I don't know like 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 he said and like others have said I don't think we could have won that war almost in any way but. We could have done better if we had been able to do that. Hi, did you have a fun in that war? I mean, by the end of the war, I think we ended up killing more MBC supers and Titans than like CFC, for example. We kind of, <laughs> yeah, after the AWOX thing, we did a lot of stuff with goons. Well, not a lot, that, but we did what, some stuff with goons and stuff. Was that and on, yeah, it was fun. Like the low second part was fun. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Was that on purpose? Uh, I mean, of course it was on purpose but did you guys say okay we're gonna go this route we're not turning back we're gonna kill our ally and that's yeah that. i mean it was kind of dumb in the long term but in the short term it was you know we didn't really think too hard about it honestly um and there were repercussions that were kind of bad and good for the alliance yeah, yeah but near, near the end of the war we killed uh, like two two um i forget their name who's that group lex arson's group tissue. Yeah, no. yeah two tissue, tissue. And two NC dot titans, it was snuff and 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 goons uh, near the end of the war, so yeah, uh, that which was pretty fun. That was uh, but that's how quickly things change in Eve. It it doesn't, you know, um, and, and it'll keep. Have you seen that? Have you seen that with PL and NC up north? Now they've they basically have taken that super coalition and dismantled it, and then one by one, sort of uh, kicked out a lot of the members. Um, I'm interested to see if uh, if Guardians of the Galaxy get to stay there or 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 not. I, I don't know if I'd call CO2 and Test a super coalition, but uh, it's a lot of members there. 
but yeah, yeah. but in, in reality, we were three alliance, you know, two and arguably three alliances. You know, it's not exactly what yeah. we call super coalition. Wasn't Tess the second biggest alliance? I mean, isn't isn't Tess the second biggest alliance uh, other than Goonstorm? No, uh, Pandemic I don't Horde. Think so. Yeah, Horde. Oh, is Horde that big now? Yeah, it's big. Oh yeah, Horde is definitely bigger than Test. Okay. Test is like seventy thousand, I think. I, okay. I, I have to look now. Um, I think Tor- Horde is ten ten thousand, or you can check. Maybe it's grown since I've looked at it. Yeah. Test, test is eight point one. I would so I would still I mean still that would make. I mean, I think that makes CO two test the third biggest group in the game. Imperium Horde, if we're going to separate them from Pandemic Legion. And uh, then test and, and CO two right? No one else. No one else. Well, they're oh, they're um, I guess drawn regions. I don't, I don't know. They don't even count in my mind. Yeah. Well, they're big, no doubt. Um, to answer Big Cheese Nips' question, uh, who did um, uh, Snuff kill? Uh, they killed Shadow Cartel, uh, and they've been enemies for a long time. But they were working together during the Casino War, and uh, at one point during things when things were settling down. Uh, they were sharing a pause, which was unusual to begin with, and uh, Snuff uh, decided to kill. I think it was three supers. Was it two titans? Was like one super? Two supers, one titan. Yeah, things have become sour with Shadow Cartel with between leadership of Snuff and Essien. Yeah, kind of happened. Oh, so they there was an incident sharing it. Yeah, they were moving through it. Oh, they were passing through, and things had gotten internally bad. Okay. Yeah, between leadership. So it wasn't a complete surprise. Probably worse for Shadow Cartel, honestly. I mean, yeah, like between NBC entities, we you know we were not supposed to kill each other's supers and stuff like that, and obviously we were blue, so you know it was a surprise for them. Yeah, did that cause internal problems with Snuff? Well, you know, escalating entropy is all our US guys and AU guys who were kind of sour and stuff. Um, but they, you know, were kind of aloof from the EU Snuff, anyways. Before that, like they tried to coup. A few months before that, um, so that was kind of expected. It was a pretty crappy thing to do. I mean, no doubt. I didn't. I didn't think it was yeah. a great thing at the time. And and but the thing is, and Eve, like people have very short memories. Like you know, um, you'll see other groups. Uh, you know, it's not like I mean, we, I've worked with Snuff before because I know I know their FCs, and you know, I'm, I'm friendly with them. And you know, you know, you just like work on a you know case by case basis, and you put your you put your trust in in that fight, like yeah, you know, for this fight, we're we're working together, and that's that's it. And you know, um, uh, but there's lots of lots of groups, you know. Um, I mean, you yeah. saw what happened with Circle Two and, and us, uh, and you know, Tess is working with them now, and, and that's sort of their calculation. And then you've seen it happen with PL many times before, and people still work with PL all the time. Uh, so it's not like it's almost like you don't get punished for for that kind of thing in, in Eve because people are so into like you know realpolitik and, and being you know in utility rather than sort of any sort of sense of honor. Like we've, we've skewed so much against sort of what what we made fun of, which is you know that sort of pubby e honor stuff that it doesn't almost exist in Eve anymore. It also kind of depends on how much in the spotlight the AWOKS is. For example, PL kind of did the same thing to our, um, OSS towards the end of the war where OSS was hitting a tower with supers and they were still blue but PL like reset them on the spot and then dropped them and they didn't catch anything but it was a similar thing and it just kind of depends on how much in the spotlight the AWOKS is like we still have people saying ah oh, fuck you snuff AWOKS and shit like that because you know we did do it after yeah. all it's how good I, you I are would, controlling I would say that, uh, Go ahead, Billy. Sorry. 
I would say that the e-honor aspect of Eve is actually still quite vital and quite important, despite the, you know, the saying it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, the, the entire reason, you know, I was kind of able to build this coalition that we developed in Catch from Curse down and further, right, is, you know, I, I'm, I'm someone who's been around for 12 years now, and, and I, you know, I never burn a bridge, I never uh, turn in an ally kind of thing. So everybody I was able to deal with was able to trust me, and then I said, you know, this is what's going to happen, this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to do it. So I was able to have an open conversation with just about everyone, and it creates that situation where you can have those relationships, you can have those conversations, and, you know, it, it, there is an ability to trust someone. And part of that inability to trust with other people is a very big issue that, you know, causes a lot of problems if you haven't, you know, earned that trust or built that trust. You guys think CO2 will recover their reputation uh, after turning in the middle of a war? Like, or is that is that not even an issue anymore? I'm biased, but I don't think like... you will. I don't think you walk away from that, but that, like I said, I have a, a personal stake in that thing. I would say it's much like the situation with Snuff, where they paid a price for it, and there's no doubt to anyone that they paid a price for it. Uh, but, you know, they're going to uh, survive and hopefully thrive here coming in impasse. And from, the, the, you know, this point on, it will be, you know, a scar. Uh, you know, I don't know if the term is a scar on the face or, uh, you know, it, it, it'll be a memory that people will think about for CO2, but for the most part, uh, there's a lot of people in EVE that have very short memories. And, you know, some people will remember and it will affect the way they interact. But for a lot of other people, they won't give a shit. They, they see strength, they respect strength. They see weakness, they respect, or, you know, they, they jump on weakness, you know. Uh, EVE is very much, the situation you see before you is exactly the situation that you are going to get. Uh, so when I, you know, they will pay a price, they have paid a price. I, it will affect their relationships in the future a little bit, but I wouldn't say too much. But you look past it. I mean, uh, you're a big alliance and you're like, yeah, we can trust these guys. Well, it's kind of interesting. You know, we, uh, we became allies with CO2 based on geographical, um, considerations for the most part. You know, we, we, you know, we had CO2 on one side and test on the other side, you know, in terms of tribute and veil. So we were kind of forced to either be allies or go to hell war with each other. With each other, because you know, as soon as the test like war autism stream turns on, it's like you can't turn it off. You know, <laughs> people in posting their shit at like five o'clock in the morning just to piss them off, despite the fact you know you told them don't. Like you know, fuck, we moved into Esteria. I'm like, don't do any intosis off for two days. Fucking eight systems reinforced the next morning. It's like fucking goddamn. <laughs> like you know just you know you you can't turn off the war once it starts right so it's choice to either be allies or be at war so you know we kind of made the choice to be allies and you know we weren't quite sure what to expect uh working with co2 after those interactions and we definitely have had some serious communications with issues with co2 over uh the time especially at the micro level more so than the macro but um you know there's a bond of friendship that develops over the course of a war especially tough wars and you know, I am very confident in my ability to trust Gigax and CO2, and I would hope that he is, you know, confident in his ability to trust us in, in that same regard. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say we're, yeah, I would almost say we're blood brothers as allies now to a degree. And uh, hopefully, you know, if we have issues, we can work through them. But, um, you know, the, the way those kind of relationships and uh, those uh, th those feelings of trust are built 
is very much a you know hit or miss situation many times. Mm. I have one last question for you, Billy, and that is, uh, you put out that you were going to leave uh, Dreadit, which is the major corporation, and test because you, I think, wanted to find a quiet place. Uh, so you moved. Uh, it, it seemed to signal that you were going to fulfill a commitment till the end of the catch war, which is now ending. Uh, and so, are you moving on from test? Or are you going to stick with it? <laughs> I was speculating about you're, that. You're quoting the uh, the Photoshop picture. Um, oh, was that photoshopped? I usually well, analyze Photoshop uh, images to see if they're authentic or well, not. Well, no, there's some bug with like Fair with Firefox or something where you can like literally just edit the code so it types up whatever you want. It's not a bug, but yeah, you can just you can just open the field basically and add more things, so it won't look like a Photoshop because it's not. The browser's uh, still rendering it. Okay. So yeah, what I basically said is I'm leaving Dreadit because Dreadit's a super corp, and there's no real advantage to me being in a super corp versus any other corp. Mm-hmm. Uh, I formed my own corp, Seventh Fleet Corps, and um, you know that that was really it. Just you know, when you're in your own corporation, you have like being in Dreaded versus being in my own you, corp. There's almost you no don't have to share right. a bathroom with all these guys, right? Well, to be honest, like the number one reason that got me started on uh, wanting to leave Reddit was I couldn't I couldn't have my my mailbox because there's so many fucking corp spam mails in Dreaded. Like I literally had to like turn off my ping or like my blink on my mailbox. And like, then I can't like, anytime somebody sends me a mail, I only see it like once every two days because you don't always open your mailbox. And I like, I actually use my mailbox a pretty significant amount when you're coordinating with, you know, people from around the galaxy or they're like, oh, hey, could you come help us kill these supers that are reinforcing our paws through this wormhole, et cetera. Like, so it's, it's like, it was actually really annoying. Um, and, you know, I, I interact with all the people in Reddit all day anyways. It's like, it just wasn't an advantage or disadvantage to me to being in Reddit. Wow, this is really- But I'm not, I'm not planning, a, yeah, I'm not planning on going anywhere from test. To, okay, there it know. is, official. Yeah, well, it was official before. <laughs> yeah, I just got fooled with the browser trick. That's new for me, I didn't realize that. Because normally when I get images, uh, I, I'm a des- graphic designer, so I know how to inspect images uh, to see like uh, what the patterns are of the the pixels to see if they've been doctored and i've caught a few so we don't get trolled as easily but uh the ra- browser trick I, I i didn't think of that but uh i would encourage you to re- go read through that reddit thread again and you will see people like the first post is like the first browser trick and then people are like this is hilarious we can do this and then there's just like 10 Tons. different copies of that thread where it's like billy says he's gay you know billy wants you to jump <laughs> out of an airplane like just stupid shit like that all look like I said it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't go much further into it. I just, uh, somebody brought that to my attention. I inspected it. Uh, I was like, yeah, apparently it looks we're, authentic. Real quality uh, news reporting. What are we, CNN over here? <laughs> uh, yeah, not quite. But uh, we have a double N in our title. Uh, yeah, well, exactly. That was kind of the joke. I want to thank you guys for coming. We've gone over, but it's been uh, awesome because it's been full of great information. Um, so it, I'll give you a chance to uh, say anything to anybody you want to. Uh, if you have any last thoughts, any, you know. Hi, do you want to say uh, hello to Naiden so he doesn't uh, get on my case? Yeah, enough, Max. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, really? uh, yeah, I guess I'll uh, I'll 
focus towards the end here and I'll say thank you to all the uh, 280 plus dudes in fleet right now on a beautiful Sunday morning and toasting Esoteria as we flip this constellation and uh, hopefully finish reinforcing the whole region today. And, uh, you know, a special thanks to everybody that uh, deals with me on a regular basis because I know I'm super fun at times. <laughs> Asher, any last word? I nope. have a last. I have a last word for you. What? When's your next podcast, man? Uh, yeah, a couple of people have asked me that. Like, what? What? What should I talk about? Like, Eve is pretty boring right now, especially FC wise. I was thinking about maybe having some like industrial people on talking about how do you build out an empire because Tess is gonna have to start doing that soon. But like, I don't really. It's just we're just in a fallow period. This happens where people are trying to rebuild and building for the next war, and there's not really that much going on. Uh, you know, Cincinnati is back at his farm. So um, <laughs> I, I just like, I don't feel compelled to talk about something when there's nothing to talk about. Uh, yeah. Hopefully CCP or, uh, you know, will come out with something exciting soon to talk about, or someone will come up with a new fleet concept or a big war will start. And then I can really kick it off. But like right now <laughs> you, you're doing a good job. You do something every week. I, I don't have that, that kind of capability. Well, we're, we cover all kinds of topics here, specifically FCs and FC issues, which is what's great about it. Uh, besides your style, but you know. Yeah, I'm still missing a certain podcast, Asher. All right. Well, remember <laughs> scores will be settled. Wait, wait, um, yeah. do, do I, I owe you something particularly, Billy? I don't remember. Uh, I can quote it if you want, but. Uh... Okay, I guess I'm, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do my next podcast. I'm filming tomorrow on, you know, Billy versus Pro God, the power or the what did you say? The interesting conflicts of test or something. Oh, I, I was probably just saying that to wind you up. I don't think I ever intended <laughs> to do that. <laughs> I was like, all right, I want to listen to this shit, and then it was like, no podcast came out the next day. Oh man, that's too bad. I, yeah, I, I don't remember saying that, but I was definitely just winding you up. That was not a podcast I was planning on recording. <laughs> <laughs> there is a a pro god versus Arendus, who's an editor at INN uh, from Goon Swarm. Uh, that's on our podcast. If you haven't listened to it, go uh, um, look for it uh, on iTunes or SoundCloud. And uh, that turned out pro to be pretty good I'm certainly skilled at uh hyping up pro god versus who knows what <laughs> each week he's becoming a streamer so we'll see a lot more yeah of he, he definitely wants to start a stream and uh see if he can uh, encourage some views and stuff like that and i, I hope he goes it should go well for him actually he's got the he's got the personality style of a streamer where he's got the right element of rage with a little bit of charisma and you know all, all that other weird element that just is perfect for keeping people entertained the right amount of <laughs> yeah we, you know. we talked about buying him a green sweater for the green screen so it would just be his floating head shouting as he's uh, moving back and forth because <laughs> he has a stand-up desk now so that would be funny uh anyway thanks and it, you know for uh, asher it doesn't really matter if you do a new one because all of the ones that you've studies like this about fleet commanding you kind of cut out there, but I think I got the general gist that there you can listen to some old ones. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they're timeless. You can listen to them um, at any time. They are all still very relevant right now. If you start from the first one and just go, because you, you don't listen cover to me complaining about the Ishtar meta. <laughs> if you go to these <laughs> really old ones, yeah. But uh, I do. I mean, I did try to cover a lot of the basics. Um, it's one of those things that you just like. 
I, I don't, I, I have the capability to record a new one, but you know, you just kind of sit there and go, what do I talk about? And who do I invite? I just don't, I don't yeah. know. I did yeah. do one right before the start of the catch campaign uh, with uh, Ron and, um, and Lex Arson. And um, then we got so busy that by the time I was able to, because uh, I normally, uh, one of my friends, uh, Norik, he edits it for me and he couldn't do it. So by the time I got around to editing, it, it was like 10 days later and it was really kind of stale. So I was like, well, I can't release this one now. So oh, it's a bummer. Yeah. Uh, anyway, well, thanks for encouraging me. I'll, I'll try to do one. Yeah. Even the ones where you're just, uh, you're one of the few people that can just take an hour and talk about stuff. And it's interesting, at least to me, uh, but there's so few fleet commanders that would say, I already know that Asher, you know, your information, all three of you guys can talk about what you do and it would be very educational for the majority, the vast majority of Eve players, even Eve enthusiasts that don't play that just kind of like to hear about things. We are bloviation experts. Yeah. <laughs> no, just very particular and precise skills. It takes a lot of uh, experience and uh, opportunity to get right. Thank you guys very much. Billy, Asher, hi. I appreciate you guys coming on the show. Please uh, stay tuned for Talking Stations after show with McLeod. It's very much a lounge show where you come in, sit around, and uh, talk about Eve for the next hour. We'll see you next week. <laughs>